All right, Parkland. Hey, Parkland, let's make some noise for everybody joining us online and at our Lighthouse Point location. Let's make them all feel welcome. Man, I'm excited this morning. If I don't know you, you might be wondering who's the big red-headed guy on stage right now. Uh, my name is Shad, and I get the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Coastal. And I want to thank our leadership, TJ and Shayla, for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to talk to you this morning. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be quick paced. We're going to laugh a little bit, maybe cry. We'll see what happens. No promises. We're Dolphins fans. Um, so... It is what it is. It is what it is. I want to introduce my family. If you take a look at this picture on the screen, you're going to see that I outpunted my coverage by a lot. Um, that is my beautiful wife in the back there, Tanya. We will be celebrating 15 years of marriage in just a couple weeks. That's right. That's right. She keeps me looking young. She brings my score way down. Okay. Um, right next to her, you'll see my 11-year-old. That's my oldest daughter, Ireland, Ireland Ansley. And to the right, you're going to see our middle daughter, Evelyn Brianna, Evelyn. And then you see the troublemaker down there in the middle, right? Third time's the charm. I finally got my son. Gentlemen, don't give up. <laughs> we're still outnumbered, but we're working on it. Um, this is my beautiful family, and I'm so thankful for them, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to be able to share with you guys this morning. One of the roles that I have here at Coastal is as the Connections Director. What does that mean? That means I get to do next steps with all of our new members that are joining and joining teams. Do I have any Next Steps graduates in the room? Where are my graduates of Next Steps? Make a little noise. Come on, where you at, Next Steps grads? Let's go. So if maybe you've been checking out Coastal and you're wondering about doing more, joining one of our teams, hey, join me at Next Steps next Sunday, 9 and 12 o'clock. I'd be happy to, uh, to get you plugged into what God's doing here at Coastal Community Church. Well, we started a series last week called GOAT. Not the animal, the acronym, um, GOAT, the greatest of all time. And last week, TJ decided to do a little poll in the room, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, da-da-da-da-da, and it was all fine until he got to the end, and he decided to disgrace the sports fans of South Florida by throwing up TB12 and acting like he's the GOAT when we all know who, come on, I think I have a visual to help. Let me show you who the GOAT is. It's number 13, Dan the Man. This is your moment, South Florida sports fans. Let's go. Dan Marino. Rocking the greatest of all time throwback jerseys, might I add, at the same time. And let's not, let's not miss the man to, his, to the left here, the greatest football coach in NFL history, Don Shula, the, the only coach to coach an undefeated professional sports team. We got anybody who was here for 72? Who got to enjoy 72? Let's go. Miami Dolphins, we got some goats, okay? It's not 12, it's 13. Thankfully, in this series, we're not talking about our favorite sports heroes, or mine would just be lots of disappointment um, and almost Super Bowls. Um, but um, in this series, we are discussing the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of eternity, Jesus of Nazareth. Can we make some noise for the GOAT, Jesus, this morning? We're going to talk about Jesus today. Last week, TJ started this series off with an incredible talk on considering Jesus in light of his impact on history, his impact on community, the resurrection, the death resurrection of Jesus. He is the only God that can claim that he became flesh, died, and got up out of the grave. Amen. We serve the only God that did that and his 
message, the message of Jesus, of hope, of forgiveness, of love, of compassion, of, of restoration. In light of those things, we should consider Jesus as the goat. And maybe you're in the room and you've never considered Jesus. Well, maybe just for the next 30 minutes, you might consider Jesus with us as I dive into one of my favorite stories in the Bible where we see Jesus interact with humanity. It's one of the unique things about the Christian faith is that our God became flesh and dwelt among us and we actually get to see him in life in the way he behaved and interacted with humanity. It's really, really cool. So I'm going to bring us to one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have a big one on the screen behind me for you to be able to follow along. And I want to read this from beginning to end so you can get a picture of the story. And then I want to extrapolate some thoughts from that. So in John 5, starting at verse 1, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a, in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I love the way the New King James Version words that same phrase. It says, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. You see, at the pool of Bethesda, there was a bit of a, a myth that um, at a certain point in time, an angel would come down from heaven and would dip its finger in the water and stir the water. And if you were the lucky contestant who could get in the water the fastest whenever the water would stir or bubble, that maybe you would be healed of your dysfunction, your disability, your sickness, your unwellness. And so this man is, is at this place and and Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to be holding that bed in your hands. Like, really people? That's what we're concerned about right now. This man has been paralyzed for 38 years. He's walking and holding a, a bed, and you're more concerned about that. And isn't it funny? Whenever you have something great happen in your life, you think everybody's going to be excited for you, and then they're not, right? That's what this man's experiencing. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk. A lot of focus on the bed and walking and not a lot on the healing that took place here. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place, which I think is just a beautiful picture in the space today. You might not know Jesus, but when Jesus is here, everything can change for your life. The man didn't even know who healed him. Today you're in a great place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus 
who had healed him. In this story, we see, we see a man. We've got a couple characters here. We have Jesus and we have this man. And we see a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. Come on, somebody. That's a long time to be sitting in a spot crippled and broken. This man has been unwell for a long time. That's a long time to be in a depraved situation like that. So that's the position of the man. And we know that his mat or his bed, that he's been there for a long time, maybe so long that he's given up hope of ever being made well. In his response to Jesus, when Jesus says, do you want to be made well, he immediately goes to the excuse or the reason why he hasn't been made well. And he's realized, I'm never going to be first in line, but he's still there. He's still there, waiting for the water to be stirred so he can hop in and be made well. So we have this broken man, this hopeless, helpless invalid with no one to give him assistance, lying on his mat, his bed, when along comes Jesus. And that's such a powerful, just even scripture right there, along comes Jesus. When Jesus enters your life, everything that was is about to change and doesn't matter anymore because what's to come is going to be the greatest season of your life. Jesus enters the scene, and I love that the Bible says that he notices the man. He sees this guy and immediately knows his story, says that he knows he's been there for a long time. Jesus sees this man that most likely he's never seen this man before, but Jesus knows him. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows this man, and he knows his story. And immediately... Jesus comes over to him and has a conversation and asks the man a simple yet complex question all at the same time. And it's the title of this talk today. Jesus asks the man, do you want to be made well? At the outset, this seems like a ridiculous question to ask this man, right? Jesus is standing in what is the equivalent of a triage center. He's in an ER with sick people, with broken people, with bleeding people, with crippled people, with blind people, and he's walking around going, is anybody here to get better today? Like, hello, Jesus, yes, we are, we're here to get better. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but is it? Maybe this question is bigger than just the sum of the words that it that it is one of the underrated attributes of the goat of the greatest of all time of Jesus, I believe, is his ability to ask the right questions at the right time to the right person. The woman at the well, how does he start his conversation with her? Where is your husband? Did Jesus really want to know where her husband is? No. Jesus was driving at something. The woman caught in adultery after her accusers were gone. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Speaking to a thousand things with five words, Jesus cuts through to all of these things. If Jesus had this, I don't know, did anybody grow up with baseball cards? Anybody collect baseball cards when you were growing up? They told me they would be valuable one day. They're still worth nothing, um, but I spent a lot of my dad's money on them. It was fantastic. Um, if, if, I, I'm going to throw up another, what I believe is another South Florida legend, a South Florida go. Can we throw up the man, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez? Come on, any Marlins fans in the place? Okay. We've got to change this, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to afford these players so we can win. 
If you were lucky enough to be alive back in the early 2000s, what's up? There was a team with this catcher, Pudge Yvonne Rodriguez. He was my favorite player for the Marlins. You could not steal second base on Pudge. He would throw you out every single time. Plus, he's got the greatest nickname in the history of sports, Pudge. Like, I mean, he fully embraced the Pudge. Anyways, if you... Oh, there it is. If you notice at the bottom of this card, you're going to see some stats, right? It shows how many games he's played, how many at-bats he's had, how many runs, home runs, doubles, triples, home runs, RBIs. If Jesus were to have a player card, right, and, and Jesus was over here, you know, and he's posing, or maybe he's like, maybe he's writing in the sand, or maybe he's spitting in mud and making some mud. I don't know what Jesus is doing in his profile picture, but if Jesus were to have a player card, and at the bottom we were to see his stats, I think we would see like healing, 100. You know, like, like uh, uh, forgiveness, 100. Multiplying food, you know. If I could get a gift, that would be the one I would ask for right there. God, could you give me the gift of multiplying food? Um, I think there would be some obvious stats at the bottom, but I think there would be one that would catch us off guard that Jesus possesses, and it's the ability to ask the right questions. I believe that a lot of Jesus's ministry was not just around doing things for people, but speaking to the heart of people. And through questions, Jesus would do this. He has the ability to ask a thousand questions with just one question. Do you know anybody with this ability in your life? Do you know anybody like this? Better question. Anybody married? Come on now. I got a wife. Um, and uh, since I told you all how wonderful she is and put a picture up, now I can use her as an analogy in this message. Whenever my wife asks me a question, come on, fellas, I know that the question she's asking me isn't really the question she's asking me. Oh, okay. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Especially when it's a simple question. When it's a detailed question that, that, that leaves out no room for misinterpretation, I know this is, this is actually, she just wants an answer to this question. Case in point, the other day my wife asked me this question. She said, how was your day? Immediately, I start sweating at the pores. I'm like, how was my day? Why do you want to know how, I'm thinking in my head, like, why do you want to know how my day went? And I, I'm sweating and I'm thinking immediately, what's today? What's today? How was I today? Because you know this, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you ask, ladies, whenever you ask your husband a question and he doesn't answer right away, he's not ignoring you. He's thinking. Men do a lot of time thinking. Come on, fellas, where are we at? We're just thinking all day long. When you ask him that question, how was your day? He's thinking to himself because he knows based on what comes out of his mouth next is going to change his life drastically. <laughs> he knows everything in this moment is going to change based on what comes out of his mouth. So he's thinking to himself, what about my day should I mention in this moment? How was my day? I'm sweating profusely, and I finally work up the courage to just give a very generic, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. yeah, it was a good day, <laughs> you know, high-pitched voice, stressed out. It was a good day. Uh, and uh, I say that to my wife, and then she turns around and she goes, oh, a good day, huh? That's nice. So what did you do today? Now I know I'm in deep trouble. She's asking me now specifically, what did I do today? Which means there's something I should have done today that there's a good chance I didn't do today. I am in trouble. I am sweating. 
So, so she says, she says, so your day was good. Tell me about it. And I go, well, it was, it was, it was a little busy. Yeah, busy. Sounds a little bit like, hey, if I forgot something, I was busy today. And she proceeds to say, oh, busy, huh? Busy doing what? I'm like, anybody with me? You ever have this moment? I'm like, fellas, keep your hands down, guys. Come on. It's a rhetorical question. I know. I know. I know. I know. You're going to get this question at lunch today. <laughs> I said, baby, you know, it was a little busy, but, you know, not too bad. Not like super busy, but like kind of busy. She goes, oh, not too busy. And here it comes. So that means you must have had plenty of time to play that, pay that speeding ticket you got last month that if you didn't pay by noon today, you're going to get an additional fine on that you promised me you would pay last week at the same time. That's oddly specific. <laughs> I don't think you wanted to know how my day was at all. I think you wanted to know if I paid the ticket. And I'm like, baby, baby girl, look at me. Ooh, have I told you how good you look right now? 15 years, like fine wine, baby. Come on, you just get better and better. Trying to change the subject. And I'm like, girl, I'm going to own it. Come on, some, at some point, fellas, you just got to own it, right? You got to be like, you just got to buck up and go, you know what? You got me. <laughs> you got me, I messed up. And I'm like, babe, I, I own it. I'll own it. I'll pay it tomorrow, first thing in the morning when the clerk's office opens. And this is what she says to me. Don't worry about it. You ever been there, fellas? That thing you were supposed to do? <sighs> See, ladies, the thing is we know if we don't do it long enough, <laughs> you'll eventually do it for us. If, okay, okay, wow. Good job, fellas, you're learning. You're learning from me right now. She said, don't worry about it. And I said, oh, she said, I took care of it. I'm like, you did? She said, yeah, during my 15-minute lunch break, I, or my 15-minute break from taking care of kindergartners all day long, I managed to make that phone call and take care of your speeding ticket, so don't worry about it. And I'm like, thank you. You are amazing. Oh, my gosh. You look so good. Did I say that already? You look so good right now. Come on. How many of you know my wife's first question wasn't the question. She was digging for something, right? She's digging, and I had to try to figure out in this conversation, what is she digging at? And I wonder in this scripture, what is Jesus digging at with this man? What's the question that he's actually trying to ask of this man? Disclaimer, the names and or events of the people mentioned in my last story may or may not be true. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jesus has perfected the art of asking great questions. What is Jesus driving at? And I want to give you three ideas or questions that I think might be the question behind the question of what Jesus might be trying to get this man to begin to unearth in his soul, to unearth in his life, to unearth in his mind. First one is the question itself. We can't, we can't avoid the question itself. Do you want to be made well? I think the absurdity of the question will distract us from the magnitude of the question or from the reality that this is an important question that Jesus is asking. So could it be, when Jesus says, do you want to be made well, could it be that not everybody who's unwell wants to be well? Could it be that not everybody who's broken wants to be whole? Could it be that it, not everybody who's gone through something really wants to come out the other side of it? Could it be that this man maybe doesn't want to be made? Well, in my experience, not everyone who's broken 
wants to be whole. I've sat with people for years in my position and watched people tell me their stories and then help them with a plan to overcome it, to watch them continue to not do the thing required to be made well. Not everybody who's unwell wants to be made well. Second question we could ask is, is maybe Jesus wants to know, hey, where? Where do you need to be made well? Now, for this man, it seems obvious. He's laying on a bed on the floor. He's obviously a cripple, so it's pretty obvious to, to, to everyone around that this guy's legs don't work. But I believe the question stands because not everyone is forthcoming and sharing the area that they actually need to be made well in. Maybe you've gone to a connect group. Shout out if you haven't joined a connect group, go get in a connect group. I help oversee those. I can get you plugged into one. Get in community. But in a connect group, oftentimes you'll get prayer requests, right? Like anybody got any prayer requests? And we'll go around the room, and here's what I found to be true. No matter where I've been in the country, people will give you 99 things they need prayer requests for, but they'll never give you the one that really matters. They'll never give you the one that if they really ever got well in this area, it would impact every other area of their lives. They'll tell you the symptoms, but they'll never tell you the actual area that needs to be made well in their, in their life. It's like going to the hospital with blood just <coughs> gushing out your neck, right? Like if you've ever, if you ever have nicked an artery, like it's scary, the blood starts pumping out, it's terrifying. It's going to the hospital with blood gushing out your neck and talking to the doctor. You're finally being seen and the doctor's like, all right, so what are you experiencing today? You know, you got this obvious neck gush going out your neck, but you're like, you know, it's actually, I just have this little hangnail right here that's really been bothering me. And the doctor's like, well, there's, there's blood coming out of your neck. Uh, uh, is that an issue? No, not an issue. Not an, I don't actually, I don't need you to work on this. I need you to work on this, and I found that a lot of people will go to Jesus with everything they need well except for the area that they actually really need him to do something in their life. It's delusional, really, because God knows. Like, let me help you. You can't hide it from him, the area that you need to be made well. But like any good doctor, he's going to treat what you ask him. So where do you need to be made well? Third question that Jesus might be trying to illuminate in this scripture is the why. Why haven't? You've been made well, sir. Why haven't you experienced wellness? Picture the man. He's sitting in a place that he believes and others believe is supposed to bring healing in his life, yet he has not experienced healing. Could it be true of even you and I that we can come to a place on a weekly event at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in a place we believe is supposed to bring healing for week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and still be dealing with the same things we were dealing with when we were 16 years old? Could it be true that we can go to a place, so why? Why hasn't he been made well? And he says, well, I have no one. Isn't that the trick of the enemy to convince you you have nobody? There's no one there for you. There's no one who will support you. But along comes Jesus, and Jesus walks into the room and goes, well, you have somebody now. And I want you to know today, you're not alone. You do have somebody. His name is Jesus, and he will take you to the place of healing, and he will see you made well. Where do you need to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Why haven't you been made well? And I just want to, at the risk of ruining our new friendship, ask you that question this morning. To you, sir, ma'am, student, do you want to be made well? Like, really, do you? Do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to get past that thing that you've chosen to coexist with for years upon years upon years? Do you want to be made well? I'll ask you where. Where do you need to be made well? If it is true that there's an area in your life that is a dysfunctional area or a broken area, an untreated area that you're like, hey, if God were to do something, this is the thing I would need him to do. Where is it? Where is that area? And let me help you. It's not just physical. It's not just that Jesus healed the man's legs. It is Jesus came for us to have wholeness, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We are a a triune being, so we have multiple things that need to be made well. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's a sin issue that you've had in your life for years that you can't break. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an, an emotional thing. Maybe it's anger, pride, frustration, depression, anxiety. Where do you need to be made well? Where is the issue? And then where the rubber meets the road, why haven't you been made well? Why have you been coming to a place where you should be made well for years and you haven't experienced the wellness? Why haven't you What's prevented you from experiencing what being made well? I'd like to offer three thoughts. Three thoughts that I think can help answer the why you haven't been made well question. Before Jesus um, actually activates and makes the man's legs well, he actually gives a couple instructions. He gives three strategic instructions to this man. And, and I think this is maybe where the miracle stops in most of our lives, where God wants to make us well, and this is where it stops. This is the rubber meeting the road. Jesus is ready to make you well. Now he's going to tell you what to do. And this man is given instructions, and maybe this is where it gets too messy for us, or we become too uncomfortable, or we become too vulnerable, and it gets too real, and we, we abort what God wants to do in our lives because what he's asking us is, is too much. And I'm going to call these instructions that Jesus gives the man the three requirements of being made well. After the man gives his excuses, Jesus responds, number one, Jesus says, get up. He says, get up. I always try to put myself in the context of the person in this moment because this is a real story, a real human being, a real crippled, paralytic man on the floor, and Jesus is looking at him going, get up. If I'm the man, I'd have a lot of cynical, sarcastic things to say back to the man that I don't know telling me to get up, like, ha ha, real funny, pick on the cripple guy. Move along, buddy. Like, yeah, welcome to the show. We're sick here. We know. Isn't it funny whenever somebody comes into our lives and tries to speak life into our broken area, we get mad? We get frustrated when anybody tries to speak faith into an area where we've operated in fear. What do you want? Get up. The man is presented with a choice in this moment. Get up or stay down. It doesn't make sense and it wouldn't to me. But Jesus isn't trying to get you to understand what he wants to do. He's just trying to get you to obey. If we'll just obey, things change. If we don't obey what God says, the miracle he wants to bring into our lives is never brought to us because we haven't taken the step. John 2, Mary gives us a great picture of this wedding of Cana. They run out of wine. The, the event host doesn't order enough wine. That's a terrible thing to have happen at a party. And, and Mary comes to her son. She's like, Jesus, make more wine. And Jesus is like, Mama, it's not my time. And Mama's like, yes, it is your time because I'm going to be embarrassed if you don't do what I'm telling you to do. And Jesus, like a good son, goes, okay, Mama, whatever you say. And then Mary gives some instructions to the servants. She tells them, get a bunch of, get a bunch of jars and then do this. Do whatever he tells you. 
And for some of us, God wants to bring a miracle in our lives. And let me hear you, your first instruction, your first requirement is just do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do and obey even when it doesn't make sense. I'm dealing with three children who have mastered the art of delayed obedience. Anybody ever experienced delayed obedience with children before? I say it once and it's like they don't hear me. I say it twice and they don't hear me. Then I have to do the countdown. Anybody do the countdown? All right, I'm going to count to three. Then I'm going to do something that won't get me in trouble. (laughs) And I count down and I wonder how many of us have missed our miracle due to delayed obedience? And God's wanted to do it in your life, but you've been delaying your breakthrough because you've delayed in obedience doing the thing that God is asking you to do. Practically, what does that mean? You may be struggling unwellness in my finances. Let's just get real practical. God's word says give. But I don't have enough money. But God says give. But that doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. God said give. I'm struggling in my marriage. There's some sin in my marriage and I didn't do things right. God's word says confess. Confession is the start to the healing process. Well, I'm struggling with my mind and my thought life and the patterns and depression and anxiety. God's word says stop thinking on it and think on things that are lovely, that which is pure, that which is righteous. Change your thinking. Well, that doesn't make sense. I wish I could change my thinking. Then read the word of God. Change your thinking by doing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't matter. We, we get the opportunity to choose to obey to obey. Well, my past is full of church hurt. I've been hurt by people. People have let me down. My parents let me down. That boss rejected me. I went through it. Here's what God's word says. You want to get past it? Forgive them. But that doesn't make sense. They hurt me. Forgive them. But, But they didn't ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter. Forgive them. And you'll experience forgiveness in your own life. Second, instruction he gives us to take up your bed tells the man to take up his bed and 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 for context the man's bed was just a mat it was just a piece of material that the man would have taken to the pool found his spot like going to a a brad paisley concert you know outdoor auditorium tour you know he's got his his area with his mat and and this is his home the context of the mat is this is where he lives much of his identity is even wrapped up in that i'm a cripple This is my home. This is where I live. And the man has to listen to Jesus tell him to take up his bed. And for a minimum of decades, he's dwelt in this spot. I believe it's formed his identity. It's changed his thinking. It's it's limited what he thinks is possible. And I imagine the man just in context getting down and he sits up from being crippled and he still hasn't used his legs yet and he's why does he want me to roll up my bed? And the man starts rolling up his home. This is uncomfortable. When God wants to take you out of the thing you've been dealing with for a very long time, this can hurt. Even good change can hurt. But Jesus is telling him, this no longer is your home. This is not who you are anymore. You're not abused. You're not broken, you're not empty, you're not rejected, you're not anxious, you're not depressed, you're not angry, you're not your father, you're not your mother, you're not where you came from, you are a son of God. Now roll up your mat.
and he rolls up his mat because could it be that Jesus knows, sir, ma'am, even if I heal you right now, if you stay here, you will always be crippled. You will always be broken. If this stays your home, you will always be the sum of your circumstances. And for the love of God, roll it up. The requirement is that you make a decision. Make a decision today to roll up wherever your unwellness is and leave it behind you. John 8, 36 says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know it's hard to walk away from who you've been, what's been your story, what's been the recurring theme of your life. But if you want wholeness, the requirement is that you roll it up. Number three, third requirement. Third strategic instruction that Jesus gives is to walk. He says, and walk. Up to this point, what's crazy is we haven't actually seen the man experience his miracle. All he's done up to this point is sit up and roll up a mat. He actually hasn't even experienced the miracle that God wants to bring into his life, which begs this requirement that Jesus required him to activate the miracle. I wonder why Jesus would be so clear to now walk, get up, roll up, and walk. I wonder if Jesus knows something that I've come to experience in my line of work and over the years I've seen people set free of things, but I've learned this, that if you don't activate the thing God's doing in your life, you'll sit on it. You'll sit in it. You've been freed from whatever, whatever area of your life you've been made well and God has confirmed that you have been made well. You felt it in your spirit, you know, but you sit in it. Here's what happens. When you sit in it, you'll begin to contemplate it. You'll debate it. Was it real? Did God really do that in my life? Did he really say that? Did he really want that for me? And if you debate it, you'll doubt it. You'll doubt the thing that God is trying to do in your life. And when we doubt, we can undo what God is trying to accomplish, which means it's entirely possible for you and I to sit our way out of our miracle. We can sit our way out of the breakthrough by not taking what God says and going, you know what? If he said I'm free from it, then I'm going to speak life into that situation. If God said I'm not anxious anymore, then guess what? Every time I get anxious, I'm going to go back and remind myself, look in the mirror and say, I have the mind of Christ. If God says that I can have breakthrough in my finances, then I am going to believe for the best and I'm going to sow so that I can see a harvest in my life. We have to activate it you got to speak it. The power of the spoken word. Come on, freedom people. The power of words to speak into existence. It is a gift from God to be able to speak into life the thing that you're hearing from the Father. What the enemy wants you to do is walk out your miracle, grab your mat, doubt it, sit down on it, let Sister Sue talk you out of it, let Brother Joe tell you why God's not real until you come right back to the pool of Bethesda, right back to your broken place and sit back down and sit on it. And we'll watch people abort what God wants to do in their life for the love of God come out of that place. Here's the requirement. Make a decision. Make a decision to walk when it still hurts. 
That man hadn't used his legs in 38 years. He didn't even know what walking meant. It's going to hurt sometimes to walk when you've never walked before. It's gonna hurt sometimes to be positive when depressing and anxiety-riddled thoughts wanna come back, but you gotta choose to just keep walking. When lust and desire and anger manifest in your life, it's gonna be hard, but you run to God. And it's gonna hurt to do it until it doesn't anymore. Activate the miracle. Make a decision. Walk. Saying I'm out of order, but you get it. Jesus places requirements on this man as he is experiencing his moment to obey, decide, and activate. So I'll ask the question to you again today. What about you? Where do you need to be made well? Or are you tired of things the way they are? I want you to make a decision this morning. I know there's been an area in your life that you've been wrestling with. (laughs) Is that the area that God wants to make me well? I want you to make a decision this morning. You know it's a put circle, yes or no? I'm real simple. check yes or no. Do you want to be made well? Are you tired of things the way they are? And then you've probably had bubble to the surface that area of your life that is the unwell place. I want you to name it today. In your notes, I put a fill in the blank. Where do you need to be made well? Write it down. There's power in naming it because God's ready to partner with you in seeing you come out of that thing. But don't tell him about symptoms that have nothing to do with the heart of the issue. God wants to rip up the heart of the issue and make you whole in that area. Four years ago, my wife and I planted a church and we're done. We were the lead pastors of a church, planted, fulfillment of a dream, raised a ton of money, went unpaid for a couple years to make it happen. We launched September 15th, 2019. Around 300 people showed up to our launch day, preached a message, scared out of my mind. Six months later, March 15th, 2020, I got a phone call that I couldn't come back to the middle school that we were using as a rental because there was a thing called coronavirus. And that started the deepest, darkest cycle of my life. And I've been through some stuff. Survived online for three months, did my best to preach in my kitchen with my kids upstairs while my wife's trying to keep a two-month-old baby from screaming so loud that you can hear it in the podcast turn off the air condition because you could hear the vents. So I'm sweating like I am right now. My wife gave me a napkin. Hang on. Looking like Manny Arango. Okay. <clears throat> After three months of online, I had to host a Zoom meeting and tell everybody in the church, all the volunteers, we had about 80 Dream Team members that were serving their guts out that I couldn't go any longer. That I had come to an impasse in my mind and in my heart and that it was going to break me and I had to make a decision to walk away from it for my family. And it was the hardest decision I've ever made. Over the next nine months, I'd gain like 50 pounds. I'd eat my way through depression and anxiety, feeling like I missed it. I messed up. Did I not hear from God? Contemplated my calling, went to fire school, was done with the ministry. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm done. Shaved my beard. I look goofy without a beard. Literally sat on my mat, sat on my bed for nine months. Paralyzed until I got a phone call. Somebody said, hey, it's time to get back in the race. Don't give up. Don't quit. Mind you, nobody had called me for nine months. Everybody loves you when you're shining. 
moment you go through something, it gets hard. You find out who your friends are. Somebody called me, said, hey, get back in the race. And it was against every part of the flesh in my body to try to get out of my bed, to try to get up, and to try to walk again. Three years later, I'm here, and I get to be part of an incredible staff. Hear me today, God wants you to be made well, but you're gonna have to get out of that bed you've been laying in, and you're gonna have to walk away from it, amen? God wants it for you. The Bible says, and we're done, immediately he was made well. Immediately he was made well. Then he saw Jesus a few, maybe days later, hours later, he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, see, you're well. Which is to say, when the doubt comes, Jesus will always remind you if you let him, yes, you are well, but the greatest miracle of the day would happen in the second encounter and not in the first because you might be in the room and you go, I don't know Jesus, I don't know the goat, I don't know who this guy is, I don't know what you're talking about. The greatest miracle of the day was not crippled legs being restored. Jesus sees him and says, now sin no more, enacting the forgiveness of his sins and restoring his relationship, not as a man with working legs, but as a son of God. Wiping away his past, restoring him to his status as a child of God. And hear me today, that is available to you if you want it. If you want to start a relationship with a real God who wants to see you well in every area, you can have it all right here today. And then I know I've gone over, Kyle. I know you're cutting my mic out now. It's okay. Dang it. I told myself, Bapticostal. Bapticostal, Shad. God wants you to be made well. God wants to see you come home. So here's what I want to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to offer a moment just like that man received for you to be a son and daughter of God. If that's you and you're ready to come out out of that, you're ready to know him, you want to be known by Jesus, you want to experience what this could be, what it should be for your life, I'm going to count to three and then I want you to lift your hand up and then I'm going to say a prayer with you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Lift up your hand if you want to come home, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to be a son of God. I see hands all over the room. Daughter of God, child of God, I see him. I see him. For everybody with those hands up, I'm going to say a prayer, and I just want you to repeat after me in, in your head, in your thoughts, in your heart. Let's say this. Today, Jesus, in light of what I've heard, in light of who you are, I choose to place my faith in you. I ask for your forgiveness of my sins. And thank you for offering a way for me to become a child of God. And I commit my life from here forward to you. In Jesus' name, amen.